This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. We will now have the scripture reading for today, and the passage is taken from Luke chapter 5, verse 27, to chapter 6, verse 11. I'll be reading from the New International Version, so uh, do take the time to grab your Bibles and follow along uh, with me in your physical copies. So once I've read the passage, I will invite Nick to come and explain uh, this passage to us. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours, go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the old Oh, sorry, the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields And his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, and so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? 
he looked around at them all and then said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. I'll now invite Nick to explain this passage to us. Good morning, everyone. If you have your Bibles, uh, please keep them open. We will be studying God's Word today, uh, so let me pray and ask God for help. Let's pray. Guide us, O God, by your Word, by your Spirit, uh, that in your light we may see light, that in your Word we may find peace, and your will we may find true freedom. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Good afternoon again, for those, of us, for those of you who haven't met me, my name is Nick. So how to be happy? The happiness is good for us. It's nice, we all like it, but happiness is so hard to find. So it was in 2020, at the start of the pandemic, I found it really hard to do work so that everyone was in circuit breaker. My kids were in circuit breaker. I was trying to do work and my kids were making a ruckus. So my friend got, uh, gave me this <coughs> uh, noise-canceling headphones. Okay, so I was happy for a while until this week, uh, my happiness broke. I don't know if you can see, there's duct tape right here. Yeah, so uh, hopefully the, the replacement I ordered uh, will, will come soon and it will work well. So we all need happiness, we all need joy, especially this season. Oprah Winfrey and Prince Harry made a documentary called The Me You Can't See. So it shares true stories of, of uh, mental health struggles. So in the interviews, they share about how everyone has faced a lot of pressure uh, these past few years. And, when, and they've been able to hold up until recently, until now. And COVID, COVID has pushed them over the limit. In this comment, this comment stuck with me. They said, the COVID health crisis has led to a mental health crisis. Our world desperately needs joy. And for Christians, for you and I, who believe in Jesus, we know the answer to joy. It's Jesus. But as Christians, we don't always feel this Jesus joy. So we think maybe we need to help Jesus along. So if we don't feel joy because of sin then we try to fit both Jesus and uh, our sin together. So uh, a theologian in the, in the past, but what he wanted is he wanted to follow Jesus, but he also wanted his two wives. So he called this relationship, uh, he didn't call this uh, polygamy, he called this a constellation of relationships. So it sounds good, but it's completely wrong. So is Jesus enough to give us joy today? Yes, he is. Today we'll see how Jesus is the friend of sinners. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And as friend of sinners, Lord of Sabbath, Jesus can give us true joy. First, Jesus is the friend of sinners. In verse 27, Jesus speaks to Levi. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. I wonder if you noticed 
Levi's job. He was a tax collector. Now, last time tax collectors were cheats. They were swindlers. They were scammers. They were sinners. And they always got away. Now, imagine you have to uh, queue up uh, at the tax booth to pay your 7% GST to Rome. And then when you get to the front of the queue, they tell you, sorry, friend, it's not 7% anymore. It's 17%. Now, pay up or trouble will pay you a visit. So tax collectors, they are not good people to have in your friends list, in your followers list. Yet Jesus asked this, this scumbag to follow him. And what does Levi do? Verse 28, what does he do? Levi left everything and followed Jesus. Left everything and followed Jesus. That sounds just like Peter, James and John in chapter 5, verse 11. Left everything and follow Jesus. Levi, the well-known sinner, following Jesus. Hey, how can Jesus allow such a thing? Now the answer for us is in verse 29 to 32. In verse 29, Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his home, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. So after following Jesus, Levi organizes an evangelistic dinner for his tax collector buddies. It's like a meet and greet teacher Jesus session. So verse 29, Levi, Levi held a great banquet. It was a grand party, great atmosphere, melodious music, gourmet food by Michelin star chefs, happiness, joy. But what, but what about the company? Who else was there? So the, the Pharisees, they heard the cool tunes, smelled the aroma of culinary delights wafting through the air. And they peep in to see, oh, who else is there? And hey, isn't that, aren't those the, the, the disciples of Jesus? How can they be there? So they complained to the disciples in verse 30. How do, why do you, disciples of Jesus, eat and drink with tax collectors? Bad company ruins good morals. You must not hang out with those sinners. God will judge those sinners. You must keep your social distance from this unclean riffraff. They must be quarantined to stop their sin from spreading to you so that you will not be judged. So how does Jesus reply? Look at verse 31. Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So the Pharisee solution is quarantine. But quarantine doesn't solve sin. Hurt immunity, you can't solve sin. You can't get hurt immunity against sin. Now Jesus' solution is not quarantine. Jesus' solution is cure. So just as a doctor doesn't come to heal, the healthy comes to heal the sick. Jesus doesn't call, doesn't call the righteous. Jesus calls the sinner. Now think of Jesus going to a village to help the sick. Okay, so I've got a prop here. He comes in with uh, his medicine box. His bottles. Uh, so what he has in his medicine box, let's see, he has uh, bandages, he has medicines. All these things, are useless for those who are well. All these things, only the sick need them. 
So in the same way, Jesus will only go in to help the sinner, to save the sinner, not the righteous. Sinners like the tax collectors. Sinners like you and I. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us to his own way. In our passage today, these tax collectors are sinners that everyone knows are sinners. Sinners that have long since given up on being good, on following God. They thought God has given up on them. So, all they, so they spend time with other sinners, other corrupt people who, who accept them. These sinners are in danger of God's judgment. But God hasn't given up on them. Jesus came and ate with them, ate with these sinners. Jesus became their friend. Now Jesus didn't, and Jesus didn't tell, uh, Jesus here, he told the worst sinner to repent, to make that you turn from their sins to follow God. And the worst sinner can repent because Jesus came for them. Jesus came to call them to repentance. The vilest offender who truly believes a moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. No one is too sinful for Jesus to call to repent. People need Jesus. And Christians know, know how, to, how to get help for their sin. They know to, to look to Dr. Jesus. And Christians need to tell other people about Dr. Jesus. If no one is too sinful for Jesus, then we must tell everyone. Those younger, those older than you, those who earn less than you, those who earn more than you, those from a different race, a different country, those that you think are beyond saving. They all need forgiveness. They all need Jesus. But don't be like the Pharisee who's trying to keep the social distance from sinners. No. See how you can introduce, see how you can get to know them better so you can introduce Jesus to them, introduce Dr. Jesus to them. And as you're telling people about Jesus, of the many things people can accuse us of, friends, wouldn't it be an honor for them to say, why do you eat and drink with these sinners? So the, sinners, sorry, the Pharisees here want the sinners quarantined. But there's another group that might want to, or, but that wants sinners to be quarantined too. Who is that? That's the sinners themselves. See, we know how bad we are. We know we don't belong with the righteous. We feel unworthy. We don't fit. Now, we have, might have done bad things, or others might have done bad things to us and make us feel sinful, guilty, ashamed. And there's this black cloud of guilt uh, accusing us every time something good happens, reminding us time and time again that we are bad people who don't deserve anything good. Friends, there is good news in our passage. Jesus came for you. Jesus came to call you, sinner, to repentance. Friends, if you haven't believed in Jesus, you are not too sinful for Jesus. You are not beyond hope for joy in this life. If we are the sinners that God, uh, Jesus calls, in verse 32, we can replace the word sinner with your name. So I'll read verse 32 again. And mentally, you can replace that word sinner with your name. Verse 32, Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but to repentance. 
Jesus calls you to repent and follow him. So if you'd like to do that, please speak to the person who brought you today or you can speak to me afterwards. Otherwise, you can scan the QR code uh, to let us know. No one is too sinful for Jesus. Jesus is the friend of sinners. He calls sinners to repent. Now, the Pharisees aren't done with accusing Jesus and his disciples. So first, they accuse Jesus of eating and drinking with bad company. Next, they will accuse the disciples of just eating and drinking. We we'll look at verse 33. See what they're complaining about? They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. Okay, now, eating and drinking here isn't eating bread, drinking water. No, they're having a feast. They're celebrating. So the, the Pharisees are saying, you disciples are gluttons, are joyful gluttons and drunks compared to John's disciples, compared to the Pharisees' disciples. What they should do is follow Jesus, yes, but mix in, quarantining the sinner. Mix in, uh, feast, uh, fasting rather than feasting. Uh, who, uh, who, is, who, uh, uh, who is John again? Now John is the person who announced that Jesus is coming. So he got people ready, asking them to repent, to make that U-turn from sin to God. So John's disciples here, they are the genuine deal. God is pleased with them. Now perhaps they fasted, uh, to grieve that their sin has separated them from God. So their, their fast was genuine. But the Pharisees, no, they were not genuine. They were fasting to prove to themselves, to prove to other people that they are holier than others. And the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18 even has the cheek to boast to God that he can fast twice a week. Now whether genuine or not, the fasting is what the religious did. The religious, serious people. So if Jesus' disciples were eating and drinking, if they were happy and joyful, they were sinful. And their teacher, tisk, tisk, tisk. How can any teacher allow such decadent joy and unprincipled happiness? Jesus must be a bad teacher. So Jesus replies. The disciples are right and the Pharisees are wrong. The disciples are right because Jesus, the bridegroom, is with them. Look at me at verse 34. Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. In those days, they will fast. You don't fast uh, when the bridegroom is here. When the bridegroom is here, his friends celebrate. It's time to party. It's not time to look sad, to fast, to look serious. It's time to celebrate, it's time to enjoy, it's time to rejoice. And this example, Jesus is a bridegroom. And what about the friends? The disciples are the friends. So this means as long as the bridegroom, as long as Jesus is with the disciples, they must rejoice. But they can rejoice because Jesus calls the unworthy sinners to be with him. Because Jesus forgives the sinners, because Jesus declares them righteous. Because Jesus is God and has come to live with his people. There is great joy with Jesus. Yet, in verse 35, one day the disciples will fast. 
when the bridegroom is taken away. That is when Jesus dies on the cross. But after Jesus died, Jesus rose from the dead, and this is what he said to his disciples. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is with his people. Jesus is with you and I until the very end of age, until the very end of time. So his disciples, now we can be joyful because we have Jesus. We have everything Jesus comes to give us. Find Jesus, find joy. The disciples are right. They can rejoice because Jesus is with them. But let's look at why the Pharisees are wrong. Pharisees are wrong. Jesus cannot be mixed with other things. So in verse 36, we see two, verse 36 onwards, there are two parables. Both parables both say the same thing. You cannot mix the old with the new. Verse 36, he told them this parable. No one cuts a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they would have torn the new garment and patch from the new, and the patch from the new will not match the old. Okay, let me show you something. Okay, in case you were wondering what I wore for my Chinese New Year, this is my Chinese New Year shirt. I just bought this. I bought this on sale last year. Yeah, so it's quite cheap. I wore it for the first time on Chinese New Year. Okay, so this is my Chinese New Year new shirt. And those of you who have, have uh, seen me at church camp, you have recognized this shirt, because I wear this quite a lot, from all the way back. I got this shirt in 2008. And this, this shirt has a, has a hole at the back. Now, how not to fix this shirt? How not to? I cut a hole in my new Chinese New Year shirt to patch this old shirt. Because if I do that, my new shirt will become a new holy shirt. And my old shirt will become an ugly shirt. With white, and, with white shirt and a grey patch. Now, the old and new cannot mix. It's the same with the other example, though, with the wine and the wineskin. So this is a picture of a wineskin. Verse 37, No one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, wine will run out, the wineskins will be ruined. Also, to make wine, I learned this week that you must crush the gra- grapes to get the grape juice. And so the grape juice is that new wine. And you put in some yeast to, to change the grape juice or the new wine into, well, alcohol. As, as the juice is turning into wine, or carbon dioxide is released. Okay, so for those of you chemistry students, you can look into that. So, for the, so as, as you are fermenting the, the wine into, as you are fermenting the wine, you must put this new wine into new wineskins. The new wineskins are elastic. They can stretch. So as the carbon dioxide is coming out, the new wineskins can stretch to accommodate the wine. But the old wineskins, they have been stretched to their breaking point. They're stiff. So you put new wine into old wineskins, the stiff old wineskins, the, the gases will stretch the, the skins and the old wineskin will burst like an overblown balloon. And the wine inside, poured out, wasted. So you pour new wine into new wineskins. You cannot mix new with old. And what could this new and what could this old thing be? Now the new refers to Jesus. And the old here isn't the Old Testament. The old is any practice that doesn't make sense with Jesus, with the new. Now in this case, it's the practice of fasting. 
that the Pharisees and John's disciples had. Now, this might include Old Testament practices, but the Pharisees, they were not fasting according to the Old Testament. They were fasting to show off, to show off how good they are. So the old way doesn't fit with Jesus, Jesus' new way. The Pharisees' old way was to quarantine the sinner. The old way was to, to fast. Jesus' new way is to hang out with sinners, call them to repent. Jesus' new way is to cause people to rejoice, to feast rather than to fast. The Pharisees, they are wrong. They are wrong to, ex- to, ex- to ask the disciples to follow Jesus Plus, mix in the old ways of quarantining sinners, of fasting. No, when you follow Jesus, you live according to Jesus says. But Jesus says, you don't do your old things. Don't mix in your old things. If you look at verse 39, you see another thing they do wrong. You see what's wrong in verse 39? What do they do wrong? How do they decide they like the old rather than the new? They decide by trying out the old. Now, do they try the new? No. Now, that's biased. That's unfair. But the Pharisees, they have tried their old ways, fasting, quarantine, and sinners, and they feel good about it. And they don't want to consider anything new. They don't want to consider Jesus. So for them, there's no Jesus, and there's no joy. So for today, we are trying to find out why Jesus is enough to give us joy. For Jesus, the friend of sinners, calls sinners to repent, to rejoice. Next, you see that Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, restores our good relationship with God. Okay, so chapter 6, verse 1. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub, that, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now this happened on the Sabbath. God gave laws about the Sabbath. Sabbath the Sabbath rules remind God's people about God's good relationship with his people. It's like God's weekly party with his people. God's people don't work. They enjoy creation. They enjoy everything that God has provided for them in creation. And they mustn't work to provide for themselves. And they must keep this Sabbath every week on Saturdays, every seventh year, and every 50th year. So every 70th year, every 50th year, they don't work for one whole year. I can imagine, right, if you don't have to go to school for one whole year, wouldn't that be fun? Okay. So they, they'll enjoy their relationship with God on these Sabbath days. Now the, the Pharisees, what they did with all these Sabbath laws, they came up with extra laws to prevent you from breaking God's Sabbath laws. And these extra laws were tricky. I read somewhere that two rabbis tried to count the number of laws, Sabbath laws, just Sabbath laws that they have, and arrived at a grand total of 1,521. I can't imagine all these 1,521 Sabbath rules actually helping me enjoy my weekly Sabbath. Yes, I, yeah, you'll be really stressed. Today in Israel, there are lifts that stop at every level, level of the Sabbath so that you don't need to work by pressing your level and you don't work by pressing door close. So imagine the lift, your level, imagine you lift at level 18. 
You go to the lift, you wait for the lift to come down from level 18 to level 1. You go in, wait for the lift to go from level 1 to level 18, stopping at every floor for however long, and you finally reach. By the time you reach the top, you can finish, I don't know, one, one season of, uh, I don't know, of something from Netflix. I think the Sabbath would actually be annoying. Yeah, I can't imagine keeping all these rules. And I think that's what's going on in, in Jesus' day. You see, look at verse 1. How were the, people, how, how were the disciples working? How were they breaking the Sabbath? When they plucked the grains, they were harvesting. When they rubbed the grains in their hands to get the grains out, they were trashing. They're getting the grains out. And when they, when they put the grains in the mouth, what are they doing? They are preparing food. Three counts of working in the Sabbath. Guilty. Now, Jesus could have argued, well, we are not professional farmers. This is not our work. Or Jesus could have said, hey, these rules, they are not from God. But look at what Jesus says in verse 3. Whose name does Jesus bring in? Verse 3, David. Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, taking the consecrated bread. He ate what is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Now at this point in the Old Testament, uh, God had chosen David to be king. But the king at that point, King Saul, wasn't happy. He was going to murder David. So David, the chosen king, was on the run from the, the one on the throne. And as he's on the run, David and his men passed by the temple and they go in and they ate the holy bread that only priests could eat. Now, we cannot say here that, G- that David broke God's law. Because if you say that, then we also mean that as David can break God's law, Jesus can break God's law. And if Jesus can break God's law, Jesus cannot die for you and I. So what's happening here? David is God's chosen king. And as God's chosen king, he is interpreting God's will based on what God has said. Oh yes, God has said he's not supposed to eat the holy bread. But God has also said that David will be king. So God must preserve David's life somehow at this point. Otherwise, David will die. So David interprets God's will rightly to take the bread to preserve his life, to preserve the life of God's chosen king. So David has authority to interpret God's law to see what will please God the most. And Jesus is that forever king that comes from the line of David. So Jesus says, if David has authority, then Jesus has even more authority. Verse 5 says, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. This means that Jesus is in charge of the Sabbath. And Jesus, as the guy in charge, will ensure that his people will enjoy their good relationship with God on the Sabbath by enjoying the food that God freely provides for them as they walk along the the grain fields. Now, following the Pharisees' Sabbath will burden you, oppress you, makes you hungry, and you don't have time to think about God's good provision. You don't don't have time to think about God's good relationship with you at all. Following Jesus' Sabbath builds your love, builds your joy in your relationship with God. Following Jesus 
helps you praise God. In this case, in that case, by providing grains for them to eat that they did not work for. So you find Jesus, you find Sabbath joy. Now next, Jesus exercises authority on the Sabbath, verse 6 onwards. Number 6, the Pharisees lay a trap for Jesus. Now there's a man there with a shriveled hand. Now last time, now people worked with their hands. They fished, uh, they, they, they were farmers, they were laborers. And if your right hand, if your master hand is crippled, you can't do any work. Maybe this man with a shriveled hand was a beggar. So the, the Pharisees thought, Aha! I've got, now we have got him. He's a professional healer. He has compassion. Surely Jesus will have compassion on this man and heal on the Sabbath. And then we Pharisees will have the evidence to charge Jesus for working on the Sabbath. And as if their oppressive laws on the Sabbath weren't enough. Now the Pharisees want to oppress Jesus with the Sabbath laws. But Jesus knew their ploy. In verse 9, then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful to do on the Sabbath? To do good or do evil? Save life or destroy it? So what's the answer? What is it? Which choice will, will show God's good relationship with his people? This too. Do good by healing the man. To save the man so that he can work. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. In this passage, passage, he exercises that Lord of the Sabbath authority to show God's kindness to people so, he, so that God's people can praise God for being kind to them. Now, healing the man, this builds God's relationship with this man here in the passage and with everyone else. And that's what the Sabbath is about. It's about joy. It's about their relationship with God. So the Lord of the Sabbath exercises authority on the Sabbath to show God's kindness to his people. So you find Jesus, you find Sabbath joy. But what about the Pharisees? What do they do? Verse 11. Instead of praising God, they were furious and they continued their plots against Jesus. So for them, no Jesus, no Sabbath joy. On the Sab- these Sabbath laws in this passage gave us two more examples of the Pharisees' old way versus Jesus' new way. The Pharisees' old way oppresses God's people on the Sabbath. Jesus' new way frees God's people so that they can rejoice, rejoice in their relationship with God. And you cannot mix the old way with Jesus' new way. You see, the old way, what happens? The old way restricts the joy that Jesus wants to give you, uh, Jesus wants to give you in your relationship with God. But let's say you know, the, the old way, let's say those are the sins that we cling on to. So if I try to mix following Jesus with sin, what happens? I'm still sinning. I'm saying yes to sin. Every time I read passages that talk about this particular sin, I think, nah, that doesn't apply to me. So for example, let me read you a passage. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices 
and put on a new self which is being renewed in the knowledge, the image of its creator. So if you want to hold on to hateful speech, you want to hold to lies, and plus follow Jesus, every time I read Colossians chapter 3, I'll think, you know, this passage doesn't apply to me. So I will not have the joy of surrendering this issue to Jesus. I will not have the joy of seeing Jesus work in me, work in my lips, for my mouth, for his glory. Sin robs you of joy. Robs you of the joy that Jesus wants to give you. Or let's say uh, the old ways are the things that we, are the markers or the rules that we make to make us look like a Christian. So we mix that with following Jesus. So maybe we mix Jesus with uh, being, pres- being present on Zoom, or being present in person, instead of the people who uh, don't come at all. Or maybe we mix Jesus with uh, coming, being on time for youth, uh, of doing Christian duty, of serving a church, of getting it all right. Now friends, these markers will turn back and bite us, they will oppress us when we fail. When we fall sick and we can't even come in person or on Zoom. Or we try to serve and we make mistakes and feel that we are not good enough. So friends, there's no joy in trusting all these markers to serve Jesus. There, but there is joy in, serving, in following Jesus and serving Jesus. In knowing that he has called you and I sinners to follow him. And in our joy, we thank God by obeying him. So rejoice. We are unworthy sinners that Jesus called. Rejoice. We are the bridegroom's friends and Jesus is with us. Rejoice. We can enjoy our good relationship with God through Jesus. Now, one night uh, after Bible study, I was chatting with uh, my grab driver about Jesus. So it's a long conversation, and he said, uh, if a non-Christian goes to church and prays that he, uh, that he or she will be, uh, will be happy, will, have, will be peaceful, will God grant that request? Okay, now, based on our conversation so far, what he's asking is, is praying in church more ling or more effective than praying somewhere else? Now, you know what I said? I said, well, we must not come to God and set the agenda. God must tell us what to pray for, and God says yes to the prayers that are according to His will. Good theology, but fail to answer His question. I fail to show Him where to find true joy. I should have told him, you can follow Jesus like Levi. Jesus is, because Jesus is our only effective, only link source of joy. Find Jesus, find joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us Jesus, for in him we have joy. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.